Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Steven Trinkwald. Uh, we are back, back in action, just in time for WNBA free agency to start off. And uh, Steven, while contracts technically, you know, we're recording this on January 28th, contracts may be signed st- starting February 1st, um, but the news is already flowing very freely, and we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, up until today, it was all uh, trade news, things that could, you know, legally be executed, I think, before signings are allowed. But we got our first free agency announcement uh, just hours ago here with Candace Parker announcing on her Instagram that she'll be signing with the Las Vegas Aces. Um, I mean, this is obviously a very, very complicated topic, Eric. Yeah, uh, very complicated. That, you know, neither of us are really, and probably at this point, nobody outside of uh, Dierka Hamby and the the Vegas organization are, are really qualified to talk about with the extremely serious allegations that Hamby has made about how, you know, the organization handled her pregnancy and, and returning back to basketball activity and questioning, you know, how seriously her commitment was to the organization. Just some uh, very troubling allegations. Which that, the Aces have yet to address, by the way. Yeah, which, you know, they're, they're getting some flag for it, uh, understandably so, but obviously you're, you're going to wait until the investigation probably sure, um, sure. clears up, but you know, uh, maybe a denial of, of some kind probably wouldn't hurt, but a- anyway, you know, it's a very, very messy situation on the, uh, the off the court stuff. And honestly, it, it, it looks pretty bad for Vegas. This, this is not really a great look. And, you know, I think with the absence of information, it's, it's understandable to kind of, you know, question Candace Parker's decision here um but obviously she has a lot of established relationships in the organization and and stuff like that so you know people are are human beings and they're going to make their own decisions for different reasons but you know she's also a very high profile player with a lot of standing in the league and it is you know a player's union after all and and you know labor forces are are kind of supposed to have each other's back here so you know we'll see what kind of comes from uh the investigation that the the wnbpa fines and, and kind of investigating how Vegas handled that situation. But, you know, it's unfortunate and hopefully it's not something that we see occurring regularly as, you know, players, I think um, WNBA players feel more protected to be able to, you know, start a family with uh, maternity leave now being included in the last CBA here to teams focusing more on, on competing in the immediate term rather than, you know, taking care of their players and maybe upholding some some promises that were made in contract negotiations. You know, the one thing that I'd like to add to that, um, first of all, I totally agree with you. It's not really either our, when, as as two guys, you know, we're not really in a position to speak on this. Um, two, two guys who are also not parents, by the way. Like, No, not know, parents. We, we definitely are not parents. the two least qualified people to talk about this. Yes, yes. Not at all qualified. Um, so we're going to keep it brief here. Uh, but also, you know, it, it makes me wonder the situation makes me wonder how the WNBA has handled situations like this in the past. You know, I, I know I don't think it's been, I don't want to sound uh, too negative about this, but it does make me wonder, you know, I know the WNBA has struggled, <laughs> putting it lightly, uh, in dealing with player pregnancies and, and, and motherhood in previous seasons. Um, Skylar Diggins-Smith in particular was one that I will never forget about how she spoke about how she was treated in Dallas um, a few years ago when she gave birth to her first child. So it, it really makes me wonder if this was an isolated incident or not, and I'm afraid that it wasn't. Player empowerment is being pushed more and more and more these days, which is awesome. And I really hope that, you know, the situation can get resolved and uh, and contribute to positive change. 
within the league because we, we can't have situations like this, point blank, period. There are people first, as you said, there are human beings first, and every accommodation that these players need as mothers should be handled before anything on the basketball court. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, obviously, on, on the one hand, you understand, like, the Aces sort of desire to improve their roster and, and increase their championship equity coming off a title. And, you know, if you're just looking at what their salary situation looked like as of a couple of weeks ago, like Hamby was, you know, whether she was uh, pregnant or not, she was the, the spot in the starting rotation that, you know, if if a star player said, I hey, I want to come play for you, you know, would be the one that you would think they would maybe have an opportunity to kind of move on from. Right. But, right. you know, given all the other things around that and, and including the, the pregnancy and, you know, the allegations of how the team has, you know, questioned her commitment and um, told her that, you know, basically she wasn't going to be ready to play. And, you know, the fact that she was pregnant and, and sometimes, you know, there are more important things than, you know, increasing your championship equity as, as yeah. high as you can. And I think yeah. this is probably one of those cases, but let's move on to the, the basketball side, the stuff that maybe we are also not qualified for <laughs> to talk about, but in, in maybe a, a little harmful more way, I think yeah. outside of, you know, being a sky fan and this is uh, probably the end of a really fun era for you, Eric, um, in a lot of ways, but you know, what, what were your thoughts just in terms of like what Candace Parker coming to a team that, you know, obviously has, probably as of now, like four of maybe what, the, the 12 best players in the league by adding Candace Parker and, and another really, really solid starter in, in Jackie Young. She wants to win a ring. I mean, that's pretty clear. I think considering how a few months ago we weren't sure if she was even going to return to the WNBA at all, you know, we thought that she might just retire after the 2022 season. It's clear that, you know, while she's been there before, she wants to go out a champion. Um, I don't think she anticipated going out the way the sky went out in 2022. And uh, I mean, this is a pretty good situation for her to end her career on a high note. Um, a lot of people I think are accusing her of ring chasing, um, but this is not her, her first ring that she's chasing. She's looking to get a ring to end her career. And I think those are two totally different situations. Vegas, obviously, and the, the unique thing about the Aces roster here is that while so many teams in this free agency period are kind of at a crossroads and are waiting for all the dominoes to fall, waiting for big name players to make a decision. The Aces roster has the luxury of more or less already having their top players still under contract. So not only are they coming off a championship, but there is not nearly as much uncertainty there heading into next season with the Aces as there is with most other WNBA teams, you know? So as if looking at from this from the perspective of a legendary player who wants to end her career on a high note you know go for it get that ring and to just kind of build off that like i'm not really sure like what other kind of similar situations would have been out there for candace parker not to say that like she didn't have choices or anything like that but if you're just kind of looking at like where can candace parker play in 2022 where she's going to have you know the same role that candace parker would be used to where there's there's not an obvious player that kind of is already at that position that you would kind of a team would need to you know make a big move uh to to trade you know an existing star basically and be able to kind of compete for a championship you know when when the dierica hamby trade first happened eric and we did not yet know about the uh the the allegations of uh, of the organization that hamby and the players association had made like you uh tossed this idea out to me i guess kind of right away that you know maybe vegas is is moving this space clearing the space up for candace parker because it's it's kind of the obvious move if 
things are not going to look similar in 2023 in Chicago as they did in 2022. Um, it's well, it, like I said, I mean, it's it's a lot of waiting around for other people's decisions. Um, Parker will say that you know she came to Chicago to win a championship. Yeah, definitely. Um, but she she's also on record of saying she wanted to play with Courtney Vandersloot. And it's looking increasingly likely that Courtney Vandersloot won't be back. So I don't know, just putting two and two together here, I think it's, uh, if, if Vandersloot already made a decision to play elsewhere, we don't know if she did or she didn't. But um, if I'm Candace Parker, I don't, I don't want to wait around. Yeah, no. I guess like what, you know, if, what would the team look like with Candace Parker next year and not Courtney Vandersloot? You know, why would it she It wouldn't be in a around? championship position, no. Yeah. No. And if you are, you know, just trying to, compete at the highest levels as a player at, at her stage of her career that's done everything she's done. You know, you, you want to be there. You want to give yourself the best chances you can to, to play in the finals. And I think uh, as we'll get to, that, that's <laughs> what she's right done now, yeah. here. So, um, you know, obviously this, it, it goes without saying that this makes them a better, more talented roster. You know, it adds, this was kind of an average defense. They'll probably improve there in the regular season, although I think a lot of that was more effort and rotation based uh you know they, they did kind of clamp it up in the regular season you know candace parker adds what candace parker adds i guess one thing that i'll just say is like you know this vegas team obviously is a lot better than the chicago team that parker came to a couple of seasons ago that that chicago sky team was very good like they were a team that was basically all of the things that Candace Parker brings to a team away from being a championship contender. Regular season record notwithstanding, of course. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I mean, they were uh, a playoff team that year. They they got upset by a lower seed in the first round the, the previous season before Parker came there, you know, and they had dealt with some injuries that season as well. Basically, Candace Parker, like, checked every single box that the team missing that one last piece to get over the hump yeah. was kind of missing. Yeah. You know, she doesn't really check those same boxes for this team. A, a lot of what Candace Parker brings and not everything as you kind of point out here in the notes here, but a lot of the things that Parker brings, like it's not really like needs for the team necessarily. Well, you can't say we're signing Candace Parker because we need her to win a championship because they just won a championship. <laughs> right. Um, I think it's more along the lines of just adding a different dimension. Um, that, you know, Hamby wouldn't bring, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bring that up anymore. Um, they're going to look different just as with, just as when Candace Parker signed with the sky, she's going to bring her own strengths of which there are many, but also maybe force him to play a little bit differently in, in accommodating those strengths. Um, I think you know, the one key element right away that I think of is her playmaking from the front court. They didn't have that before. Wilson, Hamby, whoever they had playing at the five, all play finishers, you know, very talented play finishers, of course, but all of the playmaking or the vast majority of the playmaking was coming from their backcourt. I mean, you have Chelsea Gray, elite backcourt playmaker, doesn't take a genius to figure out that that's what you should do. But this added dimension here, when Parker was in Chicago, I mean, they were so great at, cut, at getting basket cuts and scoring off of those cuts. I think the addition of Emma Meesum in last season really put that over the top. But Parker is one of the best we've ever seen in terms of creating those types of opportunities for her teammates from the four or the five position. Um, and point blank, I mean, that's not something the Aces really had last year. That's a luxury that pretty much only Candace Parker can bring to a basketball team at this point. So that, I'm not sure how that's going to look. Um, I think the Aces would be wise to exploit that. I mean, they're not going to play. I don't think they're going to play maybe as fast as they did last season. I think at the stage in Candace Parker's career, she's more of a half-court type of player. But in this case, it would be kind of sacrificing pace for efficiency 
and the Aces were already pretty darn efficient last season offensively. So, I mean, the world is your oyster, basically, at least on offense. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I wouldn't imagine that their transition game is going to take a hit. Uh, obviously, I, I don't think it'll be Parker, the one that is out and running, but you still have Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young. Well, making outlet passes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the team was already extremely effective in transition, and I think in some ways she'll fit right in there with you know her outlet passing. And in other ways, you know, she's not necessarily just charging down the floor hard every single time. It might be a, a situation where, you know, she's the one that's maybe a little bit slower to get to cross half court and, and kind of hangs back defensively a little bit more. But I think they have enough players there that are um, capable of maximizing her rebounding and her outlet passing that um, they're still going to be extremely effective there. But I, I guess maybe I meant by pace, um, you know, in the half court. Yeah, yeah. That like, I can not going see. Like going deeper into the shot clock, trying to manufacture shots. Uh, we saw in Chicago how great Parker was utilized in, in those dribble handoffs. Um, I mean, I shudder to think how effective it's going to be with playmakers like Plum and Gray and with Parker handing it off at the top of the key. And you can do so many different things off of those actions. I don't know how, I don't know what the Aces playbook looked like last season, but one of the luxuries a Parker, a Parker, a player like Parker brings is you can expand your playbook because she's so smart and she's so talented. You know, I mean, she just adds so many different things to your offense that you just didn't have before because you don't get that with any other player. Yeah. And, you know, Parker, she's a capable three-point shooter, but this is obviously a team that takes a ton of threes, like spaces around Asia Wilson. I mean, that was kind of their, what sort of took them to the next level offensively. Their increase in three-point shooting, Asia not really having to play next to a traditional, another traditional big that has the ball in her hand so much. And, and Parker does operate as much as she is very talented at the top of the key, handling the ball, passing, and stuff like that, she also does operate out of the post quite a bit. And, and this yeah. team doesn't really do that. And, you know, Candace is obviously a much, much different player than Liz Cambage and a much more well-rounded offensive player than Liz Cambage. Like, we saw how, how much, like, this offense was unlocked in the absence of just a second commanding player that's going to be hanging around the basket and, and kind of, you know, taking up that space that allows Asia to attack from the face up. So, you know, Parker is a very effective roller when she does do it. You know, I, I wonder how that'll look alongside another big like Asia Wilson. So I think there are like some some interesting elements here that are going to be, I think it probably a little bit more of an adjustment than just, you know, you looking at the the stacked lineup of, of these five starters and like, wow, this is a ton of great players then uh, you know, where like we were saying, it, it maybe fit a little bit more seamlessly on paper at least in in chicago of course when chicago did win the championship they they won 500 in the regular season so yeah. <laughs> um you know they were great in the game candace played of course but um you know i do think there are elements uh that that this team might miss a, as they introduce candace parker um and just in terms of the things that you know she she doesn't really do that much you know she's not kind of the most athletic player anymore in terms of like her cutting and you know i i think a lot of what her strengths are and Asia Wilson's strengths are defensively kind of overlap in, in a lot of ways more so than maybe what Vegas looked like last year or what Chicago looked like last year. So uh, right. it'll be interesting. You know, I, I do think th this team is as of right now, you know, probably has over a 50% chance to win the championship, but I think there's an element that maybe it's not like the no doubt, you know, no other team has a chance um, with the caveat that 
we don't really know what any other high-end roster is going to look like. <laughs> That's exactly right. If, if certain players go certain places, like I can see there being, you know, two or three like clearly defined, extremely good teams that, you know, are in the same neighborhood as, as Vegas. I should say one or Wait, two other Is that going to be any different than last year, though? No, I don't. But last year they didn't add Candace Parker. You know what I'm saying? Sure, um, sure. So, you know, you think this team won the championship, they add Candace Parker. Now they're completely unstoppable. Unbeatable. Yeah, I think that that's possible, but I'm not sure it's like fait accompli and, you know, sorry to kind of make a men's basketball comparison, but in the way that like Kevin Durant to the Warriors was, I, I don't really think this is that, although it, it has the potential to be. Yeah, I mean, still a lot of dominoes yet to fall, um, still a lot of big names yet to science, and uh, other super team possibilities still open, so we'll see what happens there. And, and I, I of... just want to say, because I feel like I may be... Uh, ended this on a note of, you know, expressing a little bit of skepticism, like Candace Parker has two championship rings already, has been to three finals. This might end up being the best team she's ever been on. Like, I think there's there's at least a, a strong possibility. Yeah, we, we are not hating here, trust yeah. me. No, this... All right, let's move on to the big news that had happened in the previous week that we didn't get a chance to get to. John Quell Jones, another former MVP on the move, requested a trade to the New York Liberty. In the trade, the Liberty received John Quell Jones and Kayla Thornton. The Connecticut Sun uh, got the number six pick in this year's draft from the Liberty. They received Rebecca Allen and Ty Harris. And then the Dallas Wings will receive Natasha Howard or have received Natasha Howard and the rights to Crystal Dangerfield. Eric, John Quell Jones to the Liberty, swapping out uh, for Natasha Howard for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, a little bit of old news at this point, but our first time being able to talk about it together. That's right. I think a massive upgrade from this version of Natasha Howard on both ends. I mean, what, what were your initial reactions? Like, do you, were you just like, this is now a championship contender? Like, what were you thinking when it happened? Well, no, um, I, I, I don't usually make those assertions during the off season, at least before free agency even begins. Um, but it was, first of all, it was kind of shocking because I figured John Quo would be on the move, but I didn't know if New York was going to be in play, partly because of Natasha Howard. And the amount of money they already had spent and, you know, giving her that big contract and Benajelani a big contract and Stephanie Dolson a big contract, relatively speaking. So can, can a I lot just of things... ask you, can butt in and ask you a question? Like, it, I guess like at the end of the regular or the playoffs, like it was kind of assumed that John Quill Jones was going to be traded or, or yeah. you know, not be on the team anymore. Were you still feeling that strongly about it even after Kurt Miller went to the Sparks? Like I, I figured, you know, once they kind of made that change the chances were at least a little bit better that New York was able to retain John Quell because it was just kind of like a different situation. You mean Connecticut? Connecticut retained John Quell. Connecticut, sorry. Yeah. Um, no. I, I feel like what's happening in Connecticut right now, and I think that uh, that regime and that core just reached its apex, and, you know, stuff happens, and it's just time to kind of retool things. I don't know if they're maybe going about it in an optimal way, but sometimes certain players have more pull within an organization than other players. And I'm not going to say like, oh, she wasn't getting along with Alyssa Thomas or oh, Alyssa Thomas wasn't getting along with Kurt Miller or whatever. But um, the way the Sun, I think they just kind of peaked, you know, and I'm not sure if Connecticut was going to be any better next year. I think there was a possibility they would have been worse next year had they just run it back again and again and again. When this happens with, with good and not great teams or teams that keep going far into the playoffs but never win the big one, it reaches a point where, you know, sometimes changes just need to be made. And we're seeing that in Connecticut. You know, the John Quall Jones was not the only trade they made. 
Um, I'm not really sure what their end goal is. Uh, we'll talk about that later. No, I wasn't. I wasn't shocked to see her on the move. Um, maybe New York a little bit, but her moving, no. So let's talk about what this means for the Liberty. Um, you know, they they get an MVP, uh, a, a player who was you know the best player on two finals runner-ups. Uh, she also just turned 29. She's a full two years younger than um, the player they traded away to make room for her in Natasha Howard. I mean, offensively, like just from a pure efficiency standpoint, the Liberty, they're, they're getting a massive boost. Like Natasha Howard, uh, a very good player in, in a lot of areas, but, you know, one of those like barely league average players year over year in true shooting where, you know, bigs usually have an advantage in efficiency. And, and whereas John Quill Jones, she's had one season in her six years in the WNBA below 60% true shooting. She's, That's she's incredible. currently third all time. I think her game is a much more versatile offensive game she's not better at every single thing offensively than natasha howard but she's better in you know a lot of areas we we talked a lot about how her self-creation game john quo jones is maybe you know a, a little bit below kind of like the very you know asia wilson brianna stewart elena deladon Brittany grinder those type of players but you know she's she's a really great play finisher who's who's never really played with uh, a great offensive guard uh, in terms of, you know, a playmaker, a pick-and-roll player, or something like that. And I think we're, we're going to be able to see some elements of John Quill's game unlocked a little bit, even as, uh, you know, Sabrina Unescu is probably not a fully-formed player at this point. I mean, the offensive ecosystem from Connecticut, the difference in the offensive ecosystem from Connecticut the past few seasons to what we think New York may look like or what New York currently looks like right now is just night and day. Um, you mentioned Sabrina Ionescu. John Quill Jones has never played with a playmaking or a guard as adaptive playmaking as Ionescu is. And it's not like Ionescu is the only one. You know, we've seen playmaking flashes from Benajelani, who is probably an upgrade over Dewana Bonner in that respect. Alyssa Thomas is a great playmaker for her position, but I mean, there, there's so much going on there between Alyssa Thomas and John Quill Jones. I just didn't think the on court fit was very good. Yeah. Um, Alyssa Thomas, of course, brings her own like limitations that yeah, maybe are not yeah. conducive to playing alongside another center. And, and there are no such limitations in New York as, I mean, as far as we know. Um, so yes, I, John Cole, you mentioned, you know, her offense is her self-creation isn't as, uh, isn't as good as Brianna Stewart's or Asia Wilson's or, I, I mean, okay. <laughs> That's a pretty high bar, you know? Um, and she's now going to be able to play in an environment where ideally she's going to be set up at least a little better, more consistently. You mentioned earlier in the podcast when discussing Candace Parker to Chicago, like she ticked off a lot of boxes that this guy needed in order to win a championship. I feel like John Cole Jones ticks off a lot of boxes that the New York Liberty need, maybe not to win a championship yet, but to be a really good team. You know, I mean, she's an upgrade over Natasha Howard in almost every area. And even the areas in which she isn't, I mean, the, the whole picture is she's a better player, you know? Yeah, um, I, I hate to kind of like, you know, strictly compare the two, um, but, you know, it's probably... I mean, they were essentially traded for each other, so... Yeah, it, maybe it's not fair to Natasha Howard. But, I mean, this is basically the player that you were hoping you were getting when you signed Natasha Howard to a, a four-year Supermax in a signing trade uh, before the 2021 season. She is an elite play finisher. She is an elite rebounder. Um, she can stretch the floor respectably from three-point range. And, you know, as a pick-and-roll player, like Natasha Howard is one of the best in the business, but we haven't really seen John Cole Jones in an environment that 
can use her in the pick and roll very effectively. So who knows? Maybe she'll make hay in that area of the game too. Um, but I mean, yeah, you, you, you look up and down the New York roster, what they were good at last season, what they weren't good at last season. I there, There's really no way you can slice it that doesn't come out. New York is a much better team for this trade. Yep, I agree with you. I think she's a better defensive player. Let, let's stick to the offense for a minute, actually. But like her, her shooting is just insanely valuable, particularly, you know, she's always been stuck alongside a non-shooting big and you know she's she's like the level of, of stretch big that you know you actually apply the term to eric i know uh stretch big is <laughs> it's a sensitive term on this show but you know she's whereas howard you know she's basically a 32 percent shooter since becoming a starter and, and actually taking them john quill jones is almost at 38 percent for her career you got to get out and guard her yeah on twice as many attempts per 36 minutes you know she's a more effective player inside she's you mentioned the uh, the rebounding. You know, she's uh, one of the best offensive rebounders in the the league. That's you know one of the areas that she really really excels in terms of what she is creating for herself. She's you know I think one area that Howard may be a little bit better than John Quell Jones is just strictly as a roller. You know, maybe not a pick and roll player altogether because she's not a very effective shooter, but just rolling to the basket, Howard you know, is always at her best when she can just kind of catch and finish and doesn't have to really put the ball on the floor. And she's more mobile. Obviously, she's quicker. She can just attack the basket a little bit harder. But, you know, you also have to keep in mind, we've seen Howard in recent years play with, you know, Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd and Sabrina Unescu and Maureen Johannes. Like, that's probably four pick-and-roll guards better than anyone that John Quo Jones has yeah. played with in her time in Connecticut, respectfully. So uh, it, it's probably not too much of an apples to apples comparison. I don't know, you know, defensively, you know, you can kind of just, I think John Quell does bring with her a little bit more positional versatility. Like we tried the, the full-time Howard at the five defense for, for New York. And, you know, they were like a, a bottom four defense. I think, you know, it's kind of been shown that despite her shooting limitations, she's, she is best playing at the four where, I mean, John Quell's made it work. Uh, alongside Alyssa Thomas as as the primary four, alongside Brianna Jones as as the primary center. So um, obviously she's she's much bigger, much more uh, of a defensive playmaker. I think here, you know, is is going to protect the rim with much more um, intimidation. I guess you know she she's one of the best shot blockers in the league. Howard, she's improved her following since coming to New York. Uh, that was a big concern of ours back two years ago uh, when they had first signed her. That you know, if she's going to play center, she's going to really be able to, to stay on the court. But, you know, John Quell, uh, again, an improvement there is going to be able to defend at a high uh, level of play with without, you know, getting into fall trouble there. So and just deter, just deter. You don't have to block shots in order to be a deterrent at the rim. Um, oh, and, and one thing I wanted to throw out there that uh, I know will resonate with you. How, how many times this is uh, Stephen, in case you all didn't know, Stephen has uh, tickets for the Liberty because he's he lives around there. Um, how many times last season did you see Howard uh, fail to score when she, a guard was switched on to her? That, that's a, fair, a great point. I mean, a fair she, amount. Yeah, I think you cannot switch on John Quill Jones with a guard. Yeah, I, I don't think you know John Quill Jones is not one of the premier kind of like back to the basket bigs in the league against really great post defenders, but she will punish a switch. I think a, a lot more reliably than you know Natasha Howard, who is you know a fair post up player. You know, just as a pick and roll partner, you know she's just got much better hands than Natasha Howard, a much longer and larger catch radius. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, the the one thing that kind of pops out is, 
2017, Eric, was the last time John Quo Jones had more rolls to the basket than pops out of the pick and roll. So, you know, we'll see. It's kind of hard to break players out of habits sometimes. So, you know, we'll see how frequently we'll see John Quo Jones like rolling to the basket or if she continues to just kind of gravitate more as a a pops player, which, you know, has its own value. But with how good she is around the basket and, and how good Sabrina Ionescu should be setting her up, hopefully that'll come with a little bit more of a balance, I think. All right, so you're the New, you're the New York Liberty. You just got a all-star caliber, all-WNBA caliber front court player. Who do you surround her with? Is she playing the four? Is she playing the five? Who's your front court partner? What's going on? I mean, there's a lot of options, right? They they have uh, a lot of other bigs that should be on the roster, hopefully, if, if you're this team. You know, um, Steph Dolson signed a big contract last year. Niera Sabali essentially redshirted to recover from a knee injury. That's true. Hanju had a really great second season in the WNBA. Um, I think the other starting big for this team should be the other player that they got in this trade, Kayla Thornton, who, you know, is a a different type of player than Rebecca Allen. You know, I, I think it would be fair either way if you said, no, I think Kayla Thornton is better. I think Rebecca Allen's better. It's really kind of eye of the beholder, I think, and, and what you're sort of yeah. looking for in a player. But for she has primarily played for when she's been on the court the last couple of years. It's been a while since she's played major minutes at small forward. And I think the player that they're they're getting, you know, we can get into a little bit more, but that's who I would be starting as long as you can kind of find a starting level two um, to play between Sabrina and Benajelini. Yeah, it's like for a few seasons now, I feel like the Liberty have kind of been trying to masquerade some small forwards as power forwards saying, oh, we can go small and play Laney at the four. We can go small and play Jocelyn Willoughby at the four. We can go small and play Rebecca Allen at the four. But, you know, like they weren't actually guarding fours on the other end. So it's like, well, <laughs> are they really a four? Um, or or they would play Michaela Onionwede and just get killed in the glass. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kayla Thornton does address, I think, some more concerns that I had about the Liberty. Maybe none of them as significant as what John Cole Jones does. But, you know, they needed they needed another dog. She got that dog in her, <laughs> you know, uh, for lack of a more in-depth analysis. You need a player like that who's going to get after it on the glass, who's going to get after it on the floor, who's going to take that night in, night out, toughest defensive assignment. The Liberty haven't really had that type of player. I mean, Benajelani has a reputation as being a really good defender. She took a, t- a step back last season, um, or the previous season, you know, when she first came to the Liberty. Maybe her defense improves again now that she's not going to have as much uh, shot-creating burden. But I think almost and, every and so team... Much, uh, um... You know, much better ecosystem behind her as well. Right, that's a good point. That's a that's a good point. But I mean, she can take bigger wings. She can take stretch fours. She'll crash the glass. Um, you don't really need it to be a successful team. But you know, I know the Liberty love their culture. This is a great culture addition for Kayla Thornton because she's those type of she's the type of player who is, as we like to say, a star in her role. And I think she just maximizes her teammates by doing the work that you don't really want your star players to do. If that's fair. Yeah, and I do think Thornton is one of the few kind of small ball fours where you don't really miss the size. You know, you're not— Because she's so strong. She's so strong, and she's such a good rebounder, even for her size. Like, you're not really sacrificing the same things that you are sacrificing if you're kind of shifting some of those other players that you talked about down to the four. Or even, like, you know, let's say, like, an Alicia Clark, who is a player that— we, we always kind of love throwing out small ball lineups with Alicia Clark. I, Thornton is it's kind of more rugged than even a player like that. She can stay there. Yeah, exactly. Most you, most small ball lineups are like situational. Thornton is like a permanent small ball four, if you could say that. 
Yeah. And so just kind of like the, the comparison for her and, and Rebecca Allen, I, I do think they probably end up, you know, unless uh, some other things happen for the New York Liberty, wink, wink. I do think Kayla oh. Thornton ends up playing primarily at the four. Uh, so a little bit of a different position probably than, you know, who she replaces in Rebecca Allen. Allen, of course, like the superior three-point shooter, 37% for her, her career compared to 32 for Thornton. So Kayla Thornton, one of those players that, you know, some seasons she makes them and some seasons she doesn't, right? It's and that, not, those five percentage point difference, that's, that's not even counting the gravity. Rebecca Allen, you got to go out and guard her. Kayla Thornton, not so much. Yeah, I, I do think there's a huge difference in kind of the fear that is like struck into the heart of opposing defenses, depending on which of those players is, is shooting. But Thornton, for her, to her credit, is a much more reliable two-point scorer and will attack all the way to the rim and will get you to the line much more than Allen. You know, kind of going with what you're saying, like a much more rugged player, a player that plays with a lot more, you know, quote-unquote toughness or, you know, for whatever that means. I think Allen, with all that she went through last year, you know, kind of defines her own definition of toughness but Thornton I agree you know brings it in in that sort of traditional sense of kind of you know banging on the glass and and attacking the rim and uh making her presence felt uh in the paint for a player of her size much more of like a power wing defender as well whereas Allen like these two players are not really guarding the same player uh Allen you know she's nominally a a small forward but you're almost always going to kind of put her at the point of attack defensively because of her her lack of size and heft um, but her great wingspan where she can, you know, basically stand at the free throw line and, and still contest a three-point jump shot because of how long her arms are. Yeah, she will block some jump shots. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's a different type of player. Obviously, it's one that I think they make with some greater ambitions in mind because Thornton, you know, makes a little bit less than Allen. Maybe they just, this was a deal that Connecticut wasn't going to make if they didn't get Rebecca Allen or, or something, I'm not sure. But um, overall, you know, they... They're probably around the same level of player, I would say, Eric. Would you agree with that, like in the same neighborhood? Yeah, you know, I think I like the idea of Rebecca Allen a lot more than what, or maybe a little more than what we've actually seen from Kayla Thornton, but we haven't really seen Rebecca Allen reach that ideal. And her unfortunate situation, um, still recovering from injury, she just left her overseas team, by the way, which I don't think is, you you saw that, it probably doesn't bode very well for her, unfortunately, but um, I mean... I would, at this point, I'd rather have Thornton. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess, was there anything else you wanted to hit on with Kayla Thornton? I mean, the one thing I have, I don't know how significant this is, but um, was it me or was it Richard Cohen? I, I'm really, really sorry if I forget who said this, but um, Michaela Onyanwere was, I think, compared to Kayla Thornton pre-draft. Does this take her out of the rotation completely or, or what's going on here? Because like, basically everything that Onyanwere does... Thornton does, but better. So that that is interesting. What, I uh, forgive me if I forget um, that you had said that pre-draft, Eric. But uh, someone said that it was either me or it was Richard. I, I think it might have been Richard, but it was a good comparison. It was a great comparison, actually. Like that's that's the type of player that Onionware should be trying to emulate as she develops her actual basketball skills. Yeah, but right now, Kayla Thornton like is the good version of the player that Onionware you know hopefully oh, there you be- go. becomes at some point. I think um, so. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, maybe the, um, you know, the difference between her salary and, and some other players that are on roster is kind of what helps her stick around. But who knows? Uh, I think we, we still have a long way to go. But in terms of like actually getting on the court, I think absolutely. 
um okay. thornton kind of does check all those boxes that you hope onion Wedding would check except maybe michaela ends up being a little bit of a better shooter than thornton but right now they're, they're basically at the same level so as it stands now like obviously there's still a lot to to figure out i i don't think this team is really as good as vegas they probably well, no, won't, definitely not. <laughs> won't be as good as wherever uh, if I guess if Stewart and Vandersloot go to Seattle together, like this team is probably still a step below that type of roster as well. Um, but you know, to me, they're they're like what Washington was maybe last year. You know, a a very good team that it really kind of all needs to break right for them to make a true like title run. But they should at least be you know top four seed hosting a first round of the playoffs type team for sure, right? I could see them making an upset. You know, I don't think they're a championship caliber team, but I think right now, obviously, Aces tier one by themselves. I think you can make the argument that New York is tier two, alongside maybe a Seattle or a, maybe like a two B if if all goes well for Seattle. The, the addition of John Cole Jones, I mean, it, it can't be overstated here about raising their potential ceiling. The type of player or what she brings that they didn't have in the previous seasons, I could see them maybe stealing another series from a higher seed. Just just if John Cole Jones has a really good series, you know, she's the type of needle moving player where that is a possibility um i kind of agree with you on you know they still need another piece but uh off season is far from over so yeah i mean anything is is possible and players have kind of struggled to adjust uh to new situations before but just to kind of put it to perspective if we have like fans that are you know really interested in the transaction little stuff that have not really watched too much of the WNBA so far like it would basically take John Quill Jones having like the worst year of her career by a significant margin to not replicate the type of production they got from Natasha Howard. They're just in totally different tiers as, as players, I think, in our both of our opinions. You know, we had when we did the best players in the league rankings uh, in the middle of the last season, we had John Quill Jones as like the fourth best player in the league. So, yeah, pretty good player that they're that they're getting here. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, let's move on to another big trade. Alicia Gray moving on from the Dallas Wings to the Atlanta dream. The wings receive the number three pick in this year's draft, as well as Atlanta's 2025 first round pick. Atlanta receives Alicia Gray. This one, I think, you know, has a little bit more ambiguity to it, Eric. What did you think of the trade? Well, the reason it had ambiguity to it to start anyway, was because um, you can trade picks uh, much further in advance now than you could previously. And it couldn't be announced until a certain date. Uh, So Atlanta's uh, 2025 pick, not 2024 pick went to Dallas. And considering Alicia Gray had, as reported, wanted out for, gosh, a while now, I think that's a pretty good haul. You know, I mean, am I a little disappointed that this guy couldn't match that? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it, you know, it also uh, is a telling, is also kind of telling on what uh, GMs might think of Haley Jones compared to what they thought of Haley Jones before the season. But that's neither here nor there at the moment. Um, I think it's a pretty even trade to be honest with you. And it also signals Atlanta's, uh, Atlanta's intent in, in competing. You know, I mean, cause n- number three in the, in, in the draft, it's not nothing. Um, and if you're willing to kind of punt that away for a, an established veteran who, by the way, is still young enough to kind of fit with whatever trajectory the dream are aiming for. So even if the dream, you know, they miss the playoffs this, this upcoming season somehow, or if they have a disappointing season, Alicia Gray is not, you know, it, it's not, the end of her career or whatever. Um, although a lot is going to depend on whether she makes that long-term commitment to the dream franchise though. Yeah. So for Dallas, you know, we can kind of tie in what this trade means for Dallas and, 
uh, as well as bringing in Howard. You know, you, you bring in Howard, you bring in the number three pick, you're losing Thornton and Alicia Gray. I, I think a charitable interpretation, Eric, would look like, you know, they were able to improve their high-end talent while bringing in, you know, important pieces to the long term in, in that lottery pick. I think Alicia Gray is a better player than Tasha Howard. Yeah, I, that's the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, especially, you know, even if you think Howard is just in a vacuum a better player than Alicia Gray, like when you just add in the position of scarcity, like if you're running down the list of the best wings in the league, you're getting to Alicia Gray before running down the best bigs in the league and getting to Natasha Howard. You know what I mean? Like there's just more high-end talent at Howard's level that that she's not better than than Alicia Gray, basically, at, at the wing spot. And I could probably, you know, I could be talked into a Howard Sobley front court in ways that would be interesting, but kind of, you know, I, I got to see it first type thing with those players being smaller and athletic and very versatile in certain ways and a little bit more stretchy than traditional bigs. Um, but all indications are Tierra McCowan is still in Dallas's plans, uh, understandably so. She was she was awesome when she. She was, had a great final month of the season. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But I, I don't really see how all of these pieces fit together. You know, How, Howard and Sabley, I think, are both pretty bad fits with Tierra McCowan. And I, I don't really know, like, what your philosophy could be on either end of the court, really, where, like, all these players are just natural fits together and it, and it really makes sense. Like, if you want to dial up pressure and be aggressive defensively, like, that's not a Tier McCowan style, Arike is not that type of player either. If you want to play more conservatively, like I don't, I think you get real diminishing That's returns. That's not maximizing Sabali. Or Howard for that matter. Like she's yeah. just going to not really provide much resistance. It doesn't really kind of capitalize on what playmaking chops defensively she, she has left in her. You know, they don't really have a natural small forward on the roster. Maybe that ends up being Diamond Miller, Eric, with the number three pick. But as of right now, it seems like the plan is to play big minutes of Satu Sabali at the three. I don't know, you know, all we've seen from Sabali in her limited time in the, the WNBA dealing with injuries and her time overseas with Venerbahce is that she has become a really knockdown three-point shooter, so maybe she can adjust to it offensively. Well, she's playing next to Brianna Stewart and Emma Miesemann in Venerbahce. This A little bit of a different environment. A little, little different, yeah. A little different. But two, two Supermax contracts on the books for this Dallas team now. They were the sixth seed last year. We'll have to see, obviously, how the rest of the league shakes out. There might be some some new, different, bad teams for Dallas to surpass, but they don't really strike me as like a serious, like hosting a first round type of series. Like, there's team. a possibility that they add another supermax contract and finish sixth again. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, um, it, it that's just it's it's weird to, to think about. There were, I, I think, some people thought that this was for Atlanta's side a little bit of an an overpay for Alicia Gray, giving up the lottery pick and then the additional first round pick. I, think, I disagree. Yeah. Indications are, are kind of that Alicia Gray is pretty interested in, you know, sticking around long term. You know, if she ends up playing this one season and then Jets, like, yeah, it's going to look like a bad trade. But, you know, with the number three pick in this draft, if you get an Alicia Gray, like that's as good of a player as you're going to get. And obviously that player would be on a different timeline than Alicia Gray. But I mean, she's a really, really good player. You know, and I she's think so, and she's so malleable. Is how many player, how many wing players in the league are, are more malleable than Alicia Gray? 
I mean, yeah, she can score. Th- there's basically and out. no team building philosophy that she's like not going to fit into. I right. Think. She's she's a, she can score inside and out. She's an above average defender. She doesn't always need the ball. She rebounds. She gets to the line. It's she's the perfect complimentary player for whoever. And I think regardless of whether you want to play a little bit bigger or play a little bit smaller, because you have Ryan Howard who can who has her her own versatility to go with the versatility that Alicia Gray brings to you, like you can do a lot of different things lineup wise. And yeah, it's gonna I, be fun. I really like the fit of Gray on this team and you know, her and Howard and McDonald, like those players should be able to really dial it up defensively. Um Parker Cheyenne Parker had her best year defensively, so I think I still kind of have some doubts about what this offense looks like in the half court in terms of, you know, who is their real lead initiator that's going to kind of drive high leverage shots for themselves and others. You know, Gray can definitely get her her own high leverage shot. Like she has a great kind of shot profile, you know, is, is a really great outside shooter, has always been one of the best players for her her size and position and in her role in an offense in terms of getting to the rim and getting to the line. But, you know, who is kind of their real one A that that drives super high end offense? I think they might still be missing that. But this should be like one of the best transition teams in the league, you know, turning defense into offense and turning defensive rebounds into offense. For sure. And I just want to stress when you're talking about was this too much to give up, process is always going to look should always be evaluated differently than results. We don't know who's going to be declaring for the 2025 WNBA draft, you know? And again, I'm going to go back to my point previously um, about this. This does kind of signal, I think, what GMs think of, or at least what Dallas GM thinks of the the lottery portion of the upcoming WNBA draft. Um, As you said, Alicia Gray is probably going to be better than whoever is still around for Atlanta to select at number three this season. So I, I think if a player like Alicia Gray is available for two draft picks, like they didn't even have to give up a player, I think you just got to take that deal. And there are so many situations in which that is still a good deal for you because she doesn't, like you said, she can complement basically any other player. So yeah, I love it for Atlanta. I love it. Yeah, and Gray is only 28. You know, she, even if it doesn't all click, she just turned 28. Even if it doesn't all click this season, like as long as she wants to stick around, like she should be here the next time. This is a really good Atlanta dream team. Um, and as you noted, Eric, they did not give up their, their 2024 pick, which seems uh-huh. sort of like a really strong uh-huh. draft in, in case this season doesn't end up going as well as possible. But yeah, I mean, this was, you know, I think ever since basically Alicia Gray's desire to leave Dallas had been known, like Atlanta was kind of like an instant, dream destination for you know speculating fans like us eric because the fit with her and howard is just so exciting on paper you know they're, they're probably not going to be a super you know great you know championship level contending team but they're definitely going to be one that is uh a league past darling i think if i'm connecticut i'm super upset i wasn't able to get alicia gray i mean i don't know i heard it was a possibility but uh, looking at what atlanta gave up together Losing John Cole Jones and only getting, what, Rebecca Allen, Ty Harris, a pick. A pick three spots lower than the one that was uh, received for Alicia Gray. Yeah. Alicia Gray would have been, I mean, you very, very, very rarely, if ever, get equal return for a superstar player, especially when that player demands a trade. Um, But Alicia Gray would have made it sting a lot less, in my opinion. Let's wrap up with Atlanta here with one of the first, I think maybe the first move of the offseason where Atlanta 
uh, traded Christy Wallace to the Indiana Fever for Daniel Robinson. Um, this one, you know, is a, a little bit more of, uh, I think, a, a head-scratcher for the Dream. Even if you think that Alicia Gray was a bit of an overpay, including the two picks, yeah, it, she pretty unambiguously is going to help them be a better team this year. I think you can make a case that either way for the acquisition of Daniel Robinson for Christy Wallace. For sure. Point blank, I'm not exactly sure how Daniel Robinson helps this team. And that's no disrespect. Uh, but looking at the fit, the current fit, and I'll and I'll and I know what the pitfall behind this thinking is, and I'll address that as well. Um, not really a great fit next to Ari McDonald. Not really a great fit next to Ryan Howard. Probably not a great fit next to Cheyenne Parker. She's a decent fit next to Alicia Gray, but everyone is a decent fit next to Alicia Gray. So the thing is, Daniel Robinson, this is she's only got one year left on her contract. So I guess if you look at it from that lens, it's like, eh, whatever. You know, what what other options would be out there that would be better than Daniel Robinson? I mean, they already said, okay, Erica Wheeler, you're probably not coming back. Like, I, what, I think do, Daniel Robinson is better than Erica Wheeler, to be honest with you. Okay. I just think she contributes to winning basketball. Uh, you know, her flaws are probably more outstanding uh, in terms of she's a, a ball a player that has the ball in her hands a lot, and she, you know, is basically strictly a two point scorer. But you know, we've we've undersold D Rob's impact before and have looked foolish doing it. Um, I I guess she's like, definitely an upgrade defensively, though. An upgrade defensively, and I I think. She's definitely an upgrade as a two-point scorer, where Erica Wheeler was one of the worst players in the WNBA last year as a two-point scorer. You know, I, I guess, like, I'm not high on this trade for the Dream by any means, but I, I think, like, the justification for this that I could come up with when thinking about it, because it is one of those moves where you're just like, why would they do that? There had to be some sort of thinking behind it, is that they were not going to get their long-term option at point guard this offseason, whether that be... yeah. Maybe a Marina Mabry, who's restricted. Dallas said, you know, we're, we're going to match, so don't even bother. Or they know Mariah Jefferson has plans to go somewhere else. And they thought D-Rob was, a, as a one-year bridge-the-gap type player, a better option than bringing back Wheeler, which I agree with, a better option than Jordan Canada. You know, that fringe starter type, you know, major hole in their games, but does some things well type of player that kind of, even if, like, you're putting the ball primarily in Howard's hands and you're going to start uh, McDonald next to Howard because she doesn't do as much with the ball in her hands as the primary initiator. You kind of still need another type of point guard to soak up a lot of minutes and do some other initiating here. So maybe you just kind of minimize the time that D-Rob is playing next to that core that you laid out, you know, Howard and Parker specifically and does more of the kind of D-Rob things. But I mean, it also just looks way worse after the Jasmine Thomas trade, which we'll get to like, Christy Wallace is, for Connecticut at least, like Christy Wallace is more exciting than any of the players that Connecticut got in, in that deal that we'll get to. And, you know, maybe Connecticut just had their eyes on, on someone, some of those players. But for, Do you think this, this, this deal was made in anticipation of also making the Alicia Gray deal? I do think so, but I, I can't really connect those dots. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they, they brought in more money. So, it, you know, D-Rob's contract is so much larger than Christy Wallace. It's not like they had to free up space to bring in Alicia Gray. So, I mean, I guess it's just like the positional overlap. They just needed a ball handler more than they needed the type of skill set that Christy Wallace brings. I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of a, a confusing one, I think. So you did bring up a very good point in 
one year of D-Rob is probably better than more than one year of any of the other point guard free options, or free agent point guard options, not named Courtney Vandersloot. I would rather have Daniel Robinson for one year than joining Canada for three years guaranteed. You know, I mean, in fact, D-Rob was one of the players who, when we initially, a couple years ago for Indiana, when they made all those signings, when they threw out all that guaranteed money at, what was it, Daniel Robinson, Genta Lavender, uh, Jessica Breland else was the other one. Breland, yeah, and we were like, what on earth are they doing? They're tying up their books for no reason. This is kind of not doing that. So if you're looking at this year as a compete but build at the same time type of year, and you need somebody to soak up minutes at point guard, you know, fine. You're probably not bringing D-Rod back anyway. Um, Atlanta's got pick number eight in the draft. They could probably take a point guard there as well to kind of develop alongside her if they really wanted to. So it, it's it's head-scratching. I don't like it. But I think long-term, it'll probably look better than it does now. It's not a disaster. Yeah, I agree with you. For Indiana, I think it's a pretty solid trade. Um, yeah. I don't think Christy Wallace is like some amazing, like no doubt, starting wing. But as your first wing off the bench, you know, she's she can kind of do a little bit of everything. Like nothing really at a super high level, but, you know, she can handle a little bit. She can shoot probably at an above average level. She can pass a little bit for her role. Like I think it just makes a lot more sense with the core that this team is building to bring in someone who doesn't really take anything off the table for the players around them than say, you know, Victoria Vivians, who is a free agent for this team, who we both, I shouldn't say we both, who I specifically have said, you know, would love to see Victoria Vivians in a smaller role. But for Indiana, you know, soaking up a ton of possessions on extremely low efficiency, Christy Wallace is a completely different type of player and isn't giving you low 40s true shooting on over 20% usage like she's much more of kind point. of a, a complementary piece and is going to play a, a much smaller role in your uh the number of shots that she's going to take and, and where she kind of takes her shots and stuff like that so connective um, yeah much we more like connective, connective. Player, i think yeah. it also clears up a ton of space for for indiana i don't really think indiana should be all that active in trying to bring in big name free agents. Uh, I just don't think they're in that spot in their development. And the other thing is like, if a team in this position was to bring in free agents, it should be like young restricted free agents that fit their timeline. There's not really that many players like that out there. Like the only kind of really big names, exciting restricted free agents out there are Marina Mabry and Tier McCowan. And Tier McCowan. They already I, tried that. I don't think McCowan's coming back. So no, I don't know. Did you have anything about this trade? I have, you know, a couple more things I want to say. Not really. I mean, it's not super exciting, but I do agree with you that Christy Wallace is the type of player that Indiana needs. Like, they don't need another Kelsey Mitchell. You know, I mean, they have their high-usage primary ball handler. They need, we like that word, connective. They need another connective player or two. And I think she's, like, if Christy Wallace, if she has a down year, if she shoots, like, 31% from three, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure if I would go as far as saying the first wing off their bench. We need to see what else they'll do. But, yeah, I mean, she's a perfectly capable replacement-level player who does a few things pretty well. And when you're building your team, you need players like that. So, yeah, I I like the trade for Indiana. I will say, like, you know, I think long-term, obviously, like, Wallace plays a position that, you know, you could always have filled when you don't have a player that takes a lot off the table for you. She, She fits in with just about any kind of combination of players because she can do a little bit of everything. And I, I do think it's possible, though, that this does make them a little bit worse this year because they, they don't really have a lot of solid point guard options. You know, we like 
Destiny Henderson, she she has some potential there, and she does a lot of things really well. But she's not exactly a point guard who's like putting other players in in positions to you know really maximize themselves. She's she's more of kind of an off ball guard, a scoring guard who defends ones. And even if you're super high on Henderson, which I think it would be fair to be after her rookie season, like she's the only point guard on the roster right now. And you know, D Rob played a ton of minutes for this team last year, started 30 games for them, was fourth on the team in minutes. So I do think they kind of have to replace that somehow. Okay, so first things first, when you said, I don't know if this will make them any better, uh, make, uh, this might make them worse. Indiana can afford to be worse this season because uh, there are some pretty decent primary ball handlers coming out in next year's draft, supposedly. We don't know if they go back to school or not, but um, I think another bad year will not sink the fever because they've already been this far with plenty of bad years. I'm going to throw out some options for you because they, st- they also have pick number seven. I can tell you this, they're not drafting a point guard at number one this year. Uh, but at number seven, um, J.C. Sheldon from Ohio State, Charisma Osborne from UCLA, Ashley Awusu from Virginia Tech, Celeste Taylor from Duke. Those are four names I'd be looking at for point guards. You know, not all of them are primary, primary ball handlers. In fact, I think a lot of them are kind of combo guardish. But if you're just talking about players who can bring the basketball up and initiate the offense, as well as kind of get their own shot sometimes... Those are players who I think the Fever might want to be targeting. Granted, if a player like maybe Jordan Horson or Rakia Jackson falls to them at number seven, I think they should just take that player because, I mean, they stink, all right? They're not a good team. You take the best players available. But at the same time, all I'm saying is that there will be plenty of options to fill out the rest of their guard rotation in the draft. So I wouldn't be sweating that. All right, man. Let's get to the Connecticut Sun. Along with trading John Quill Jones, the 2021 MVP. They also traded Jasmine Thomas along with a first round pick this year, the number 10 pick in exchange for Olivia Nelson Adota, Jasmine Walker, and the rights to Kiana Smith, who it has already been announced will miss next season with an injury she unfortunately suffered overseas. Why did they have to trade a pick? I mean, I guess it was just, we don't think we can keep two first round picks on our roster this year. That's that's the only thing I could. Think that's of. pretty grim because they they did move up to number six uh, with the John Quill Jones trade. Yeah, this one, you know, I guess like this, this is something I said on Twitter, but I, I think it's worth repeating. Like, even if you kind of frame it as thirty-three year old defense reliant point guard coming off an ACL, this is still pretty attaching a first round pick to get this return. I think is is pretty tough, um, especially when you consider, like I said, everything else that uh, Christy Wallace, uh, I think is a much more interesting player than anything that Connecticut got in this trade and was the other end of a, a D-Rob trade. You know, I'd rather have Jasmine Thomas probably than Daniel Robinson, even coming off an ACL injury. So uh, we are not coming in with any hot takes, I don't think, to say that no. the two moves in, in combination with John Quill Jones and Jasmine Thomas is extremely underwhelming return for uh, these two players and, and everything that they did for the the franchise here. I guess we can start with like what Beck Allen brings to the the Sun, probably the best player that they got in in the two combinations of the trade, Eric. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. Um and I think you would agree with me by looking at our notes um, and saying this is uh too little too late. Well maybe not too little, but definitely too late. Too too late, yeah. Feel, feels like one or two years too late for what what Beck Allen brings and what this team has needed for so long. Like how badly did they need the type of player who when this team had real title aspirations, 
someone who could shoot threes at the volume of, you know, a Shakina Strickland with that level of gravity who you didn't have to worry about being able to stay on the court defensively in the biggest moments, even is on the positive side, a good defensive playmaker, you might say. I guess even now, like, there's there's not really any chance that she starts or finishes games, you wouldn't think, unless you're playing like an Alyssa Thomas at the one type of lineup or just an Alyssa Thomas is, and Dewana Bonner are your primary playmaker type lineups here. Like, they're probably going to hang on to Courtney Williams. Yeah, she was making some, she was making some sales uh, for season tickets, yeah. so... Uh, Alyssa Thomas, Dewana Bonner, Bree Jones as your three kind of front court players. Like there's not really room for Beck Allen as a, a regular closer, I don't think. And especially if you want to have a real point guard on the on the floor. So, I mean, it's a nice, nice rotation player for them. Like I like Beck Allen a lot, but, you know, as the best piece in, of this trade, it's a little underwhelming, I think. Yeah, nothing really to add to that. Uh Honestly, for me, I just got to go back to it. I just hope she's healthy this season because what she's been going through uh, is pretty scary sounding. Yeah, I, I just hope she can play, honestly. Eric, I know you were a little excited about the Ty Harris acquisition for the Sun. What, what do you uh, see her kind of doing? I, I, don't know about, I don't know about excited. I think <laughs> oh, sorry. Ty Harris is, okay, she's she's like a, we, we've talked about her a bazillion, gazillion times. She is. Hopefully a, she plays a lot. And hopefully, I mean, I don't, I don't see why she wouldn't at this, at this stage of the game. I mean, they, they need, they need another guard, but I don't see a situation in which Ty Harris comes here just to not play. Um, she's a high floor, low ceiling type of point guard who you're putting in to basically not mess up and to play above average defense. If she's coming off the bench, I think she's a good depth piece. You know, I mean, uh, you could do a lot worse than Ty Harris as your backup point guard. If she's starting, I would have some questions about what she adds to Connecticut's core of Bonner, Thomas, and Jones. Because, um, I mean, well, we didn't mention this. They, they courted Brianna Jones. Um, didn't re-sign her yet, but they courted her. So we, we're assuming they intend to keep Brianna Jones. How does Ty Harris maximize the talents of those players? We know Alyssa Thomas and, heck, even Bonner are probably going to have the ball in their hands more often in those lineups anyway. So Harris, kind of a streaky outside shooter, so I don't... Eh. I like it. I don't love it. Maybe I like the opportunities she'll get as an outside shooter with this team more than playing. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Arike Agumbawale. And- right, because we've already seen Mariah Jefferson flourish post Agumbawale, and I think there are some parallels between their offensive games. Maybe not many, but that, that's a good point. But the other thing is just like, I I don't know. I I guess I'm just like, unless they know a big offer is coming for Natisha Heideman, like. I'd rather have Heidemann playing. They did just spend a first-round pick on Nia Cloudin. It seems like they're going to bring back Courtney Williams. They're courting Erica Wheeler. So if all goes well for this team, like, is she their fourth guard? Like, are they just okay with moving on from Natisha Heidemann? And Ty Harris is the replacement for Heidemann. Again, I, I, I wonder if during this trade, if you just look at this trade from the scope of each team, I wonder if this wasn't Dallas just saying, well, crap, we still have too many guards here why don't you take ty harris you know like, yeah we, we can't take in more players than we're sending out right 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 and connecticut said yeah sure we need a guard right now before we start the season so yeah yeah i, I can see where you're coming from for that i'm i'm actually kind of wondering what Cloudin's uh role is going to be here because that was kind of a previous regime that drafted her and consequently did not play her um i mean i think she would kind of deserve another shot to actually show what she's she's made of but Especially with yeah. this team kind of taking a step back in their exactly, title aspirations. Exactly. And see, here's the thing. like This is 
my main point about Connecticut, like what is their trajectory now? They're rebuilding about around a 35 year old and a 30 year old with no shoulders. What? I mean, it is hard to just look at these moves and then the Bree Jones move and who knows, maybe they'll just core Bree Jones and they will just kind of ride out the, the Bonner AT thing for one more, you know, maybe there's just not a place to, to send them together. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to really kind of get a read on what this, like what are the organizational goals with the two moves that they've made here? I have, I have no clue. I have um, no clue. And, you know, for the Jasmine Thomas side of it, you know, I think we both like Olivia Nelson Adota. Okay. But there's no chance she starts for this team. If they keep everyone here still, like uh, it's hard to see her profiling as anything other than a, a pretty good backup center. I like it for LA though. You know, this is a, a even coming off the injury and giving up maybe some players that, that they like, I guess, like, you know, a, a pretty good move. They didn't really give up anything. They they have a pretty established player coming back from injury uh, on the wrong side of the aging curve. Like, I get all the things that maybe aren't in Jasmine Thomas's favor, but, you know, they could use a Jasmine Thomas-type player if she's healthy. Okay, if Jasmine Thomas only has one year remaining on her deal. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Here's the thing about L.A. right now. Their culture, and I know you love when I talk about culture, um, but I think this is valid in this case. Their culture after last season is pretty much in the toilet. All right, They have almost a clean slate to work with as far as their books are concerned. This, this is a good move for them because it's a steady hand. It's a veteran presence. It's all the cliches I could possibly think of to talk about a player whose encore production may be a little bit mediocre, but stay with me here. Um, She's the type of player who you want to steady your ship. It's something that's kept Jasmine Thomas in the league for a long time, even as even as her actual basketball skills have, have improved to the point where she's no longer thought of as just a, a defensive specialist. You need players like that on your roster if you're going to restore credibility to your organization. Furthermore, uh, she's going to be playing under her old friend, Kurt Miller. So I think there's, you know, a head coach point guard tandem is important as well. And sometimes, like, when you have a massive implosion like the Sparks did last season, you can't get it all back in one free agency period. So, like I said, just just trying to return the franchise to respectability, just trying to regain some stability within the organization. And, and I think and if this they're age, still bad, Eric, Jasmine Thomas is not going to prevent you from tanking and getting the number yeah. one pick. But she yeah, can I mean, probably— yeah, how, how healthy is she going to be? You know, Exactly. And she can probably help in some other areas that, that you're describing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if she is healthy and, and if she is the same player that we saw last time she was healthy in Connecticut, I'm a pretty big fan of the potential Kennedy Carter, Jasmine Thomas lineup. Um, I think Thomas could maybe transition to a bit less of an on-ball player, uh, more of like, you know, spot-up shooting, which is, has always been one of her one or two biggest strengths offensively yeah, since she's a good shooter she's in, a good shooter despite yeah, in what these later say. kind of connecticut seasons at least maybe not early on but now you know she's she's a steady reliable spot up shooter especially with clean looks and you know maybe decrease her creation workload and her off the dribble two-point jump shooting and you know give kennedy carter a little bit more of that playmaking and obviously it's not a perfect defensive combination because kennedy carter uh, as we have discussed many times sometimes is a little lacking in the effort department on that end of the court, but you know, Jasmine Thomas is not lacking though. Yeah, no, you can at least kind of stick Jasmine on, on one of the two players and, and hope Kennedy, you know, can not get killed on the other one. Follow suit. Yeah. So yeah, pretty interesting. And I, I think, 
you know, the Jasmine Thomas and, and Neko Gumake and uh, the incoming Dierica Hamby, like that's a, a nice little core of, of veteran players to, as you're saying, uh, increase the, the, the culture and, you know, what, what this team can do well, uh, especially defensively. And we, we can kind of hit on the, the LA side of the Derek Hamby trade to wrap this up, you know, the allegations and all that, that's unfortunate. LA, I think did a really great job in improving their roster here. They, they will receive Derek Hamby and Vegas's 2024 first round pick for the rights to Amanda Zowie B and Los Angeles's second round pick in 2024. So, I mean, just from a basketball standpoint, obviously Los Angeles has nothing to do with the troubling allegations of uh, against the Las Vegas Aces organization. You know, they got a much better player than the one they sent out, and they got a first-round pick for their trouble doing it. I mean, it's hard to overanalyze this, right? Um, they got a clear front-court upgrade on a team-friendly deal in exchange for, like, a fringe WNBA player while swapping a second-round pick for a first-round pick. How, how is that? Like, there, there's no way you could look at that and say, man, the Sparks got robbed. No, it's a clear upgrade in every way. I think, and, and particularly in combination, and this is assuming Neko Ogumake returns to LA, um, I think the, the Hamby Ogumake front court can can do some fun things. You know, it's, it's a little undersized, but defensively it could create some issues for other teams. And you just have a lot of, you just have a lot of effort going on there, man. You're not <laughs> you know? really going to find two bigs that are better kind of, moving without the basketball better as cutters better as just getting themselves into a good position so to score without the ball as these two players together um of course we're going to need to see what the rest of the roster looks like to see if those two players can be maximized together but uh they've got L- uh, la made out okay you know so far in this offseason maybe hamby could could kind of have like a bounce back season i think last season was maybe a little bit of a down year for for the high standards she set for herself but i mean i could see her Given the volume she attempted three pointers on, I could see her, I could see her having a bounce back season, at least from terms of shooting percentage. Yeah, and she's probably going to miss some time, but for such a low cost to be able to bring in a player of Hamby's caliber and hopefully introduce her to a a new healthy team culture, show her that yeah. she's you know yeah. appreciated in her new home and that this is a good long term fit mm-hmm. uh, for her. You know, it's it's a, it's a no brainer I think for the LA side of it. So, I think that'll about do it, man. It's a pretty long one. Yeah, but uh, everything uh, needed to be said. And it's kind of cool how, uh, you know, in, in previous seasons, we'd always have to kind of wait until contracts were officially being signed for uh, to really delve into the free agency content, but not anymore. Um, so obviously, free agency begins in earnest on February 1st, which is next Wednesday, I believe. So you can bet you'll be hearing from us again uh, much sooner than you heard from us now relative to our previous but how, how long has it been since we've it's been like a month i think we released something in early january, early we, january? we haven't okay. recorded in about a month but we had something. okay okay yeah fair yeah we, we try to uh we try to be efficient about this about our recordings and our releases so i hope our our, our dedicated um and intimate listener base is, is appreciative of that but anyway um thank you so much for listening everybody uh, as always we have a lot of fun breaking down these moves um breaking down the projections and what have you and uh, a lot more to come, surely. So thanks for sticking with us. If you want to support the show, uh, please feel free to do so by uh, following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, refers to a friend, someone new getting into the WNBA, nothing like an esoteric podcast that yes. really gets into the weeds for a new listener, a new fan. Um, follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at NimchokE for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself, and we'll be back soon.
All right, take care, everybody.